Welcome to Music for Life, enhancing the Armstrong concert experience. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. In today's episode, we explore Johannes Brahms's masterful violin concerto, a work in three movements for solo violin and orchestra that earned Brahms an honorary doctorate from one prestigious university. This piece will be part of an all-Brahms concert coming to Armstrong Auditorium Thursday, March 15th, presented by Germany's oldest orchestral institution, the Staatskapelle Weimar, with the internationally acclaimed Ukrainian violinist Valery Sokolov, featured as the violin soloist. So stick around as we discuss this triumphant concerto from Dr. Brahms, today on Music for Life. If you want to get your wife interested in football, the old saying goes, introduce her to the players. As a teacher of a music appreciation course, I feel like I'm doing something similar with music, trying to get people excited about all the musical events we present here at Armstrong Auditorium, and that's what Music for Life has been aiming to do all season. Earlier in the seasons, I was using the analogy of attending a public speaking engagement where the speaker spoke in a language you don't understand. That puts you at a considerable disadvantage when listening to what's being said. All you can do is judge the sound of the language if he's speaking in French, say, and you don't speak any French, all you can do is listen to the phonemes and think, what a beautiful language. But after a few minutes, you'll tire of that. And you might say something like, French is so relaxing. But the speaker may not have been saying anything relaxing at all. The more one knows about the language of music, the more one can be enriched by a concert experience. But to lean on this sports metaphor today, the more we understand about the aspects of the game, the more we will appreciate the game. But even then, we can at the very least appreciate the fact that all the players of the game are unique human beings, they each have interesting lives in many respects, and it's worth learning about them. And even if you can't even remotely begin to analyze a piece of music with your ears while it's performed, I think any of us can be introduced to the players, so to speak. And in this metaphor, I believe that would be getting to know the different melodies and themes we should expect to hear. That's the more musical side of the metaphor. Even less musical, I think we all can get to know the story behind a piece of music. Every piece of music ever composed had a reason to exist. There was some impetus for a composer to create and memorialize this work for future generations. In other words, every piece of music has a story, and usually a pretty interesting one. This is certainly true of the piece we discussed on our previous program, Brahms's Symphony No. 1, a composition that took him many years to finally complete because he felt so intimidated by the memory of Beethoven, whose incomparable Ninth Symphony was the gold standard of symphony for decades after its premiere. If you didn't get to hear that episode, you can visit our archives at kpcg.fm or go to SoundCloud or iTunes. The episode is called Stepping Out of Beethoven's Shadow. The Violin Concerto by Johannes Brahms has an equally interesting story surrounding its creation. Keep in mind that Beethoven is still a giant to whom all are compared at this time, especially if they write in a genre that Beethoven had also written in. 
Beethoven wrote one violin concerto, and it has been considered one of the pillars of this genre since the 19th century violinist Josef Joachim helped bring it into public favor. Now, by this point in Brahms's career, he had overcome his fear of being overshadowed by Beethoven. He had written two symphonies, in fact, by this point, and a piano concerto. He was ready to take on the violin concerto genre. Again, a work for solo violin and orchestra. He even chose to write his in the same key that Beethoven had written his violin concerto, the regal-sounding key of D major. The only insecurity he faced in creating this work was not being completely familiar with what the violin could do in terms of all the possibilities of how it could be featured as a virtuosic solo instrument. Brahms was a pianist. That would mean the composer could write something too simplistic to be satisfying for the soloist to play, or the composer would make it so difficult as to be nearly unplayable. I love this analogy by Larry Roth in the program notes from the San Francisco Symphony website. He says, Brahms was a pianist, and he lacked a good understanding of violins and those who played them, of how a musician could make a violin sing, make it release all it could without needing to pack the bow arm in ice afterward. No composer wants to write something that will force a violinist into a few days rest before playing again. Violin Violin soloists are not starting pitchers, he writes, nor are concert halls equipped with bullpens. <laughs> well, as you might recall from our previous episode, Brahms was good friends, best friends, in fact, with that violinist I mentioned just a minute ago, Josef Joachim. They had been great friends since they were in their 20s. Joachim respected the young Brahms, whom he described as pure as a diamond, soft as snow. This was while Brahms was still young and beardless, rather than the portly, long-bearded man we know from the iconic pictures, and while he was still relatively unknown as a composer. In fact, it was Joachim who introduced Brahms to the Schumanns, garnering Robert Schumann's pronouncement to the world that this new young composer would, quote, give us the highest ideal expression of our time, unquote. At any rate, Josef and Johannes corresponded back and forth about what could and couldn't work for the violin. Brahms wrote to him, I shall be satisfied if you will mark those parts which are difficult, awkward, or impossible to play. Joachim was himself a respected composer, too, and gave Brahms a lot of feedback on the work based on its merits as a composition as well. The work premiered in Leipzig on the first day of 1879 to a rather mediocre reception. The audience might not have even recognized the conductor at first with such a huge beard by this moment, the one we know. They all seemed distracted also by his suspenders having been hooked improperly. Brahms made a few revisions to the work after this Leipzig premiere, and it was again performed in Vienna two weeks later, where it received a much heartier reception. A year later, Brahms received an honorary doctorate for the work, awarded by the University of Breslau. And this piece has since been in circulation as one of the great violin concerti in the repertoire. So let's get started on our journey through this piece, as I introduce you to some of the players, so to speak, the melodic themes to listen for. The main theme is stated right at the outset of the work by the orchestra playing softly in unison.
The orchestral material continues for several minutes until the violin imposes itself on the ear in a flashy rampage of passages up and down the instrument. Finally, it settles into playing that main theme very high in its range, which is absolutely exquisite. As we would expect, we get a contrasting melody in this first movement, and the work becomes about the contrast of these two themes. The second theme is a more light-hearted tune. A couple other bits of material to alert you to would be this vivacious, energetic figure which musicians would call a dotted rhythm feel. In this piece, it always signals the end of a major section. There's also a figure in what we'd call the development section, the middle section of the Sonata Allegro form, that goes like this. And Brahms uses the first three notes of this melody to take us through several tonalities until we arrive back to the original A theme in a section that would be referred to as the recapitulation, played not quietly as at first, but in full orchestral splendor. In this section, you'll hear the lighthearted B theme again and that energetic closing material before leading into another orchestral interlude. And as we would expect, this final interlude is followed by a cadenza where the soloist plays alone. This cadenza was heavily influenced by Josef Joachim. The orchestra comes back in with the soloist when the cadenza is finished, and usually this happens loudly, but Brahms has the orchestra sneak back in, allowing the piece to build to a climax before its final notes. But don't applaud, that's only the end of the first movement. Let's hear that now in a recording by violinist Joshua Bell with the Cleveland Orchestra under the baton of Christoph von Dochnanyi.
That is Music for Life. And you are listening to Music for Life on KPCG. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. In today's episode, we are exploring Johannes Brahms' masterful violin concerto in the lead-up to its performance at Armstrong Auditorium on Thursday, March 15th, by Germany's oldest orchestra, the Staatskapelle Weimar, and Ukrainian violinist Valery Sokolov. That was the first movement of the concerto in a recording by Joshua Bell, violin soloist, with the Cleveland Orchestra and conductor Christoph von Dochnanyi. Concerti are usually comprised of three movements, and Brahms's is no exception. His second movement, as we would expect from most concerti, is slow. It is marked with the tempo adagio, and it opens with the oboe presenting the main theme. The oboe, in fact, presents us with an earful before the violin soloist even enters. Here's a snippet of this main tune that we'll hear in the oboe and eventually the violin. When the violin does come in with this melody, you hear the first three notes echoed in the flute and then in the horn. Later, the clarinet and flute will echo the violin as it performs other components of the melody. So that's something interesting you can listen for. This movement is in what we call ternary form, where the A theme is featured in the first and last sections and a contrasting B theme occurs in the middle section. The B theme in this case is a passionate and brooding tune played in a minor key and in the high register of the instrument. Eventually, things calm back down for the oboe to return with the A theme as the violinist plays in broken octaves above it. Let's listen to this lovely movement now. Again, this is the Cleveland Orchestra, conductor Christoph von Dochnanyi, and violin soloist Joshua Bell.
You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In today's episode, we are exploring Johannes Brahms' masterful violin concerto in the lead-up to its performance at Armstrong Auditorium on Thursday, March 15th, with Ukrainian violinist Valery Sokolov and Germany's oldest orchestra, the Staatskapelle Weimar. More information about this event and all our events at Armstrong can be found at armstrongauditorium.org. You can also follow Armstrong Auditorium on social media, and you'll find us too under the handle Music for Life PCG. We just heard the gorgeous second movement of this violin concerto by Johannes Brahms. The third and final movement is marked Allegro Giocoso ma non troppo vivace, lively and playful, but not too rapid. It is in a common form as far as finale movements go, what's known as rondo form. This is usually an A theme, a contrasting B theme, a return to the A theme, and then a C theme, and then finally a return to the A theme. Here are the three themes Brahms uses. The A theme begins like this. The B theme goes like this. And then the C theme is in a different meter pattern and sounds like this. Brahms uses a rondo form that goes A, B, A, C, B, A, and then a coda or final section. The coda is marked poco più presto, a little more quickly, and it's based on the A theme material. So let's conclude today's episode by hearing this movement. Again, this is a recording by Christoph von Dochnanyi conducting the Cleveland Orchestra with violinist Joshua Bell. Special thanks to Seth Malone for his research and production support with today's episode. I hope you enjoy the finale to Brahms's Violin Concerto, and I hope to see you soon at Armstrong. Thank you.
You have been listening to Music for Life, a production of KPCG 101.3 on the FM dial in Edmond, Oklahoma. From the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus, I'm Ryan Malone. Thanks for joining me.